Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome, everyone, to another week of Conversations with Z and Vin. Z, man, it's always great to have these discussions. And as we've been talking about, last week, our topic was, who am I? Or who are you? And that's an important question. As we've been talking in the background leading up to today's discussion, another equally important question is, how did I get to be the way that I am? So if you know who you are, that's great. But then if you want to make change, you might realize, you know what, it's a little more difficult than I thought. So for example, let's say that I'm out of shape. I am completely stressed out at work because I'm working too hard and my whole identity is wrapped up in what I do. I don't have the motivation uh, to spend time with my kids. I've got this whole litany of problems. And then I get up and I say, Vin, man, you got to get your ass in gear. And I look in the mirror and I say, you know what? I'm going to change. I'm going to resolve to work less, be less anxious spend more time with my kids. I'm going to hit the gym. I'm going to get in shape. And I'm bursting with energy and I've got all these resolutions. Maybe I've watched the latest Tony Robbins video. So he's got me all fired up about these changes that I can make in my life. I'm ready to go. So I wake up and maybe the next day spend a little bit of time with my kids, do some some push-ups, some sit-ups, start working out. This lasts for a few days, maybe a week. Then it drops off. And then soon before I know it, I'm stuck back in that same pattern. So it's kind of like, okay, I know who I am. I know what I want to change. I've got the resolve, or at least I think I have the resolve to change. I'm all excited about it. I've got the energy. Why can't I do it? Why is it that we spend so much time falling back into these old habits? And as we're talking about this, a lot of it is understanding why we came to be this way in the first place. So if we don't have that understanding, we don't have an appreciation of the habits and routines that we've gone through over the years that have shaped us. Uh, You've got this expression, which I'm really fond of, which is that if you do something 10,000 times, you'll remember it. If you do it 100,000 times, you'll never forget it. And if you do it a million times, you won't remember who you are before you started doing that. So everything about who we are comes from the history of habits and routines. And if we want to change, then we have to stop the old behavior. We have to start the new behavior. And we might need to compensate because maybe the old behavior satisfied some kind of need that we had or trained the brain to act in a certain way. And if we want to move away from that, we need to reprogram ourselves. And then we need the discipline to carry out the habit, do that task over and over again so we become that thing that we're doing. And we're not just talking about it and we're not falling off the truck every time that we try and make some change which I think is the trap that a lot of people feel. And then that becomes very discouraging because we start with all this motivation, we end up nowhere, and we're even more depressed than where we started. So having that appreciation of how we got to where we are is critical because it allows us to shift trajectory and start to make changes that move us in a different direction. So Z, with that framing in mind, I want to hear this from your point of view. Why did this topic come to your mind? Why do you think it's so important to have that sense of how we got to where we are. 
Well, Vin, it's it's like being um, a homeowner and you go for, off to vacation, and you think you know your house really well, and you walk in your house and something doesn't seem right. Just doesn't seem right. I've been away for vacation, been gone for a couple of weeks. I'm back home. Something doesn't seem right. Then your neighbor beats on the door and says, "Hey, you were burglarized. They stole half your shit." But when you first walked in, you didn't know your stuff was missing. Uh because you didn't have that strong connection to the accumulation of your house. Now, if it was one thing that you valued, or if there was one thing that was really important to you and you couldn't find it, and you go through your memory and you realize, hey, that thing is missing. I put it right here. So there was clarity of what that thing is. Most of us don't have a casual clarity of who we are. And we talked about that, getting to who we are. But also, once you know that, how did it come to be? How did that come to be? Because then you can realize why it's so easy for people to fall into the cesspool that we're in now, societally, socially, and so on, right? Is that you never really knew who you were, and whoever you were was not built on a, a foundation of constancy, right? So we had an old term that, that doesn't exist anymore. It used to be called having common sense, right? Remember, a long time ago, there was this phrase, I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember that, but it was a thing, I, Caitlin, you ever heard that? In your, Caitlin's never heard that before. I have. So, so a lot of the millennials have never heard this. I've never this. seen it. She's never seen it, but she heard rumor of it once in a, in a play she was working on. Called, it was a Shakespearean play, and they mentioned common sense. So that doesn't exist anymore. <clears throat> So we think about that, Ben. What is common sense? Look both ways before you cross the street, right? And what was that built upon? It was built on a time when they first started building cities and there was uh, a lot of horses running up and down the road and carriages and people were getting run over. Or basically, people who lived in the rural areas would come to the more populated urban areas and fall, uh, mishap would befall them because they didn't look both ways. Because when they were out in whatever bumfuck, wherever they lived, they didn't have to look. At, there was nothing going on. So they didn't have to have that situation awareness. So people, as we became more uh, uh, compressed in terms of our population groups, denser population groups, we developed new habits of survival that we didn't have when we were living in a more agrarian or rural society. Uh, we dealt with dip more strangers on a regular basis. So you develop what was called common sense. Not new oral factors, not new olfactory, not new visual, not new textual, but what was called a common sense. It was a situational enhancement of what was already there, right? So you just knew not to put yourself in bad situations, right? Well, that doesn't exist anymore because the construct of it disappeared first and then the constancy of it followed after and it just it, it was replaced with something it was replaced with the nanny systems in place or victim fault systems were put into place that have now become more ingrained and even intrinsic in our society we have nanny uh, philosophies we have um, victim philosophies, the perpetual victim philosophy. We have the endless pursuit of comfort 
as a, a normal part of our social construct. So common sense is no longer uh, even relevant. Again, kids like Caden, they, they've never even heard of it except in plays and theater. So the way that we look at our construct, again, using tools of the dispassionate observer, all the opt-outs are developing their tools of dispassionate observation. Why do you like the foods you like that are detrimental to your health? Well, I can tell you that there are comfort foods, right? I'm a chocoholic, and that was one of the things that gave me great comfort and pleasure as a child, uh, going through this and things. I like the chocolate. It just is soothing. It, it brings up memories of pleasant moments. Um, it's even problematic at times because I don't do drugs and all these kinds of things. I'll just you know, a pint of haagen and then all my troubles go away. Troubles don't go away, but the emotional state shifts because somewhere in my makeup, that was a metaphor or a symbol of tranquility. So if I'm trying to really work on maintaining good glycemic levels, good energy levels, having a good night's rest, I can't do that. But it's actually very hard to do because it's not hard to do. What do I mean? It's not hard to do because it's way away. As you said earlier, I've done it a million times. So it's hard for me to imagine any other way of being unless there is something so overwhelming, something so blatant, something so egregious that it causes me pause. Remember, it doesn't stop me. It causes me to pause. And I go, oh my goodness. But if I get enough of those pauses, then I can redirect. You see? So, the same experience I had when I changed from iPhone to Android. The iPhone is extremely intuitive. It hijacks your hippocampus. That's what it does. It is the matrix. I used to resist this because of my own biases. Someone came to me one day and said, that iPhone is the devil. I said, sure, you're crazy. You're crazy. I would never be a subject of Satan. But getting rid of that iPhone was pretty much like, uh, I don't know. It was uh, hard to imagine. It was trying to get my vegetarian ass to uh, eat a, a pork tea rib or something. Steak or whatever Caitlin to eat. Um, I, I just wouldn't, I couldn't imagine myself eating certain things. It didn't, but it did, getting with the iPhone was like me eating that thing I would never eat. It was so anomalous to my behavior. And I'm one who study, I study all the time the architecture of the brain. I'm always examining my behavior. But it was so subtle and so deep that it went unnoticed. It was so it was so small it consumed everything if you understand what I mean by that it cons it was everywhere it was like a drop of water finding the first place it can get into the house it was like uh, find an opening and the wind will get through it find any place any flaw any crevice and it will get through there and so I, I did not have myself insulated enough 
in my own dogma to protect me from that because it was convenient. It was initially the sweetest of candy. I don't have to remember my password, open my bank account. I just look at the thing and, or ask Siri, open my bank account, get Siri, uh, order me some food. I said, this is say, this is smart. It's smart, right? It's real smart because it saves me time. Who wants to sit there and look through a, a damn menu to get a veggie burger? I don't need to do that, right? Then it tells you where to be all the time. Thank God I don't have to even think about where I need to be. It just, it tells me, oh, you know, you, you haven't put gas in your car and you've driven, you know, uh, 200 miles. Okay, great. That's great. I, now I don't even look at the gas gauge. I don't have to do anything. I can just totally focus on these existential uh, perfect world things I think about with Vin all the time, right? Taking over the world, right? I can just constantly think about ways of taking over the world, like pinky in the brain, right? And then I'm sitting there feeling this visceral bitterness. I'm about to throw this Android phone against the wall. I'm yelling at it. I'm asking for Siri, are you there? I'm looking for an app to get my Siri back. This is, I'm not Siri, I'm Alexa. Oh. Oh, okay. I asked my kid, I said, can you talk to Alexa? And the kids are talking to Alexa. She doesn't like what they sound like. She doesn't respond like Siri does. And I feel myself going into this emotional rabbit hole. I'm wondering if I'm naked, alone on the streets of L.A., because I went from Android to iPhone, from iPhone to Android. And the devil doesn't like that. Satan doesn't like that. And there's no God in sight, no angels coming to rescue me. I can feel the hole in the middle of my head, and I realize that's my hippocampus. The library of my brain has been pillaged, kicked over. There's no more Dewey Decimal System at the library anymore. I have to go and sort things out alphabetically. I had to put my own decimal points in the right place. Oh, my God. That's what I went through. I'm just recovering. I could feel the soreness in the back of my head. My neck is tight. But you know what? I fought the devil, and I won. Got my brain back. So we don't realize, as we're building who we are, the pieces that go in that don't need to be there or the pieces that we put in that have built-in flaws, intrinsic flaws. And then we look at why we brought that with us. What was the sentiment associated with it? We most, know, most of us know that a lot of our familiar behaviors, things we inherited from our parent and our nuclear families of, of our youth, might not always be the healthiest behaviors. But because they came in with sentiment, with comfort, with familiarity, with love. We just let them all in the door. It's like when I worked in the entertainment business and we'd have a principal artist and they wanted to bring all their friends and family members with them to the show and it would create a whole nother set of problems. So you bring your crazy uncle who's just been released from prison. You bring uh, some other aunt with kleptomaniac issues. You're bringing all these people with you. And you say, why did you bring this band of fools? Oh, I love them because of sentiment. So too, when we build ourselves, what part of you has these sentimental attachments to the 
to the very thing that can undermine your own development. And then again, that requires you to kick, kick the ass of the ego so you can even inquire about this. You see? So we inquire, now what is it about me? About my behavior, about my thinking, about my worldview that I know it's flawed, but it's a part of who I am. And if it's a part of who I am, in order to change it, can I just pull that piece out? Can I excise that piece and fill it in with some putty or something? Or do I have to tear the whole building down? So you think about the mistake, we've talked about this before too, the mistake of the Eiffel Tower. Last year, I think we talked about the original error. Eiffel Tower, the architects built the Eiffel Tower, they lay down the plumb line for the foundation, and it's off just two or three degrees. Oh, the Leaning Tower Pizza. Leaning Tower Pizza. Leaning Tower Pizza. Thanks, Caitlin. I was just testing Caitlin to see if they knew anything about world history. <laughs> so this Leaning Tower of Pizza is leaning. They didn't plan on it to lean. It was supposed to look just like the Coit Tower in San Francisco, which is just a fire hose. The Coit Tower in San Francisco is just supposed to look like a fire hose. I thought it looked like the Leaning Tower of Pizza that wasn't leaning. I grew up in the Bay Area. I didn't know what it is. Somebody told me, no, it's a fire hose. Oh, okay, great. So the Leaning Tower of Pisa slash Koi Tower in Italy is tilting and leaning, and it's known to tilt and lean, but they didn't mean it to do that. The architectures made a small flaw in the building of the foundation, but at that moment in time, because they were highly regarded as being above reproach, they would not acknowledge their own mistake. And they kept building and building, and no one was brave enough to challenge them on that. So in the very foundation of the makeup, it was off a few degrees that prevented the building from being upright. <clears throat> and over the years, they spent hundreds of millions of dollars to keep the building from falling because of a small error in the initial construction. So how many of us are the leaning towers of Pisa? How many us of us with that, that original error have tried to uh, reinforce it try to support it with other behaviors, other things, other denials, other uh, twists and contortions of our intellect, the dispatching of common sense to justify. And you see it played out in politics. I was talking to a very dear friend of mine, Phil Wong, a great martial artist, great man, dear friend of, of many, many, many years. And so we were <clears throat> talking about people running around jumping on Asian people. And that really bothers me. It really is one of those things that bothers me because I know what the struggle of human rights is about firsthand. I know those years, those bad, bad years of life and death struggles so that we could just go to Disneyland. That's, that's going to always be a part of my makeup. And I've always wondered why is it that different people of color hide and deny it and try to justify egregious assaults and behavior on people um, with these various false narratives they come up with. Had they just complied, maybe they did something to get the people mad. Maybe if they just behaved better, maybe if they were more of a model minority, nobody would come after them. Well, you know that that's mathematically flawed. 
that people who have a disdain for people where they have group identity are going to have to go after anybody not in their group. And what you're really saying, if I could just get in the shadows and not be noticed by that group, then I'll have an easier life. And I'm going to do all these things to adjust so I can have an easier life. And then one day they turn on you and met out the same um, treatment. And then you're shocked, appalled, hurt. But it's been happening. It's that old saying, you know, when they came after so-and-so, we said nothing and they did nothing. And then finally when they came after us, there was nobody to help us out. I mean, this saying has been around for years. Why? What, what part of us muffles that? Pretend we can't hear. What part of us sticks our fingers in our ear and say, yeah, it's now it's your turn. It's, you ever notice when the exterminator comes to a house and they put the big tent? I don't know if you've ever had this experience. An exterminator will come and put a big tent over a house. <clears throat> and he'll kill all the roaches or rats in that house. Then all of a sudden, the next house, you know, they start tenting it. Have you ever noticed that? Where do you think those roaches and rats are going once they tent your neighbor's house? Next door. Yeah. So when you're complaining about the filthy rat-infested neighbors, you're going to get that next unless you do something about it. But it's probably best to do something about it early on. It's better to look at that early on. Don't turn your back to it. Don't turn away. Don't deny that's going on. As we were talking about it, he was in the same position. We share the same position. That's why we're friends is that we're on alert as a family. We maintain high situational awareness. Um, we keep our ability to protect ourselves. We're enhancing that. I'm going to have a long talk with my husband. Excuse me, my, my, my son. And, uh, and, and, and he's going to have a long talk with his son and his wife. And he's going to tell them, okay, it's on right now. FBI released an announcement in San Francisco that there were certain things people can look out for, certain symbols and emblems these people are wearing. They're hiring the homeless to attack Asian people, things like that. They've, they've said they said they've been knowing it for the last few years, but they just decided to announce it. They just didn't want to alarm anybody. And you ask, how did, how did it become that way? Well, they've been killing people for a long time for reasons of ethnicity, race, or being an outsider. It just wasn't your turn. It just wasn't your turn. So eventually, if you stand in the line, it'll be your turn. It might take a little longer time. So how about get out of the line? And don't be a part of this type of society or behavior or encourage it in your own life by justifying the mistreatment, the abuse of someone else that's ahead of you in line. Because when it's your line, time in line, they're going to be doing the same thing to you, but they're going to be better at it. They're getting better at it. So getting back on track, when we break down the layers of us, in those layers are things that are necessary to forward our life and there are things that aren't necessary that are there for reasons of sentiment. Most of the dysfunctions that we have are there for reasons of sentiment. If you know that there were times in your family household, for example, where there was abuse or, or, or any type of um, poor behavior, it doesn't have to be just extreme abuse. It could be little things. 
self-diminishing things. You can look at that and say, yeah, you know, I love my mom, I love my dad, but I didn't like what they did here and I won't do that to my child. I won't do that to my, my, my loved one. And just pull that piece out and keep building, keep refreshing, so that when you stand back and do the I am meditation, you're I am without the clutter. You're I am without all the fat, sugar, and artificial ingredients. It's like a healthy drink, right? But it takes the arresting of the ego to do that. Because sentiment will make us defensive of behavior. I remember a woman was having trouble with her son. And her son confided in me, was very close to the issues he had with his mother. And me being me, I said, well, whatever I can do to help. He said, I just need my mom to know that her explosive behavior, her not living an example in which she pushes on me, and her and my stepdad demeaning me really hurts. And it makes me more distant. I won't get closer to them. I'm going to get far away from them. And she doesn't listen. And the woman and I, she was one of my clients, and this one of my students, I thought we were cool. And I said, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? She said, sure. She said, your son's really hurting, and he wants to try and figure out a way that you guys can be close. And she got very defensive. Why don't you do it? just worry about your child? I'll worry about my own. I said, okay. They haven't spoken in 12 years. He stops in and sees me. We're real comfortable. His um, grandmother had a medical episode. I was the go-between between the family. He wanted to know, but he wouldn't contact his family, even to find out if his beloved grandmother was dead or alive because the relationship with his mother hurt so bad. So I called his aunt to get an update on the grandmother and I call him to the grandmother's phone I said thank you and he is driven, he has drawn a line in the sand but he warned them and it's pretty sad how we got to there how did we get to there had 12 years ago whatever the issue was at the moment been deprioritized and it was just a nice conversation this mother and her son would not have missed a decade together. So all of us can look at events in our life. We can look at uh, health issues early on when we sense that something is wrong. Don't be fearful. Don't be sentimental. Be dispassionate and get it checked out. Just had Jante's dad in here. I've been knowing him since he was a little boy. Jante said, hey, my dad is not feeling well. Called him up. I said, get in. Uh, let's do an exam. Let's let's get, get it together. He said, okay. And he just let go of everything. And he said, I don't know why my son is so worried. I said, because he's your son. And he loves you. And so whatever debris of behavior you think is the way a man should display himself, he is opening his heart completely because he wants his dad to be around a bit longer. So don't wonder why he's concerned. Show reverence and gratitude that he is concerned. 
Because on the other hand, I see a woman who hasn't seen her son in over a decade and may never see him in this lifetime. So looking at those Lego pieces that make the castle of the self, we design it any way we'd like with the bits and pieces that are about. But let's build the self free of the sentiment of things that can undermine us. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, this point you have about sentiment makes a lot of sense, how we carry things around that don't always serve a purpose, and we become attached to them either because it's habit or in the past it's triggered some kind of emotional response and that has some value for us, so we keep on doing the same thing. I want to challenge you, maybe challenge is the wrong word, but pose another question to you because you're describing building the self as a bunch of Lego pieces that you put together. That seems like a very good analogy. You've got these different pieces and they all interlock, they're all intertwined in some way. So it's not that easy to just rip one out. It's not like if you've seen that game Jenga where you build a tower and you've got these little wooden pieces and you can take one out and maybe the tower weakens a little bit, but it still stands. It's not that every piece is dependent on every other piece. Whereas if you look at a Lego set, you do have that interdependence. And you look at the way that we construct our identities, everything works towards a greater whole. And you pointed it out earlier. If you have an original error or some mistake that you make, that becomes part of your identity. You build on top of that. So maybe you do things to compensate for that. Maybe you develop a chip on your shoulder about certain things. Maybe you hang out with people who feel the same way. So now your entire social circle is related to this dysfunctional behavior. We've talked in the past about how some people get together and they all talk about the heart medication that they're using. And that becomes the big topic of conversation. So, yeah, on the one hand, I could get healthy. On the other hand, what the hell am I going to talk to my friends about? And am I even going to have friends if suddenly I'm this big outlier and I'm getting into better shape and I'm leaving them behind? So it becomes very difficult, even if you can identify that dysfunctional behavior, to pull it out because there's so much wrapped around that. And I'll give you a couple of examples. So one is more of a micro example, which is anxiety. And I've seen anxiety in a lot of people. I've seen behavior, which is just very hard to disentangle. So anxiety almost becomes a game that people play. There's a certain drama that you add, a certain sense of urgency that goes into your life that creates importance and everything becomes a soap opera. And just the way that you talk about what's going on, it's like, oh my God, can you believe that they did that to me and how dare they and what am I going to do? And now I can talk to my friends about this and I have some stories to share. Uh, and now I can get on the phone with customer service and start yelling at people so I can feel important. And now every time I feel anxious about something, I've got my cell phone, so I can whip out my cell phone. I can start Googling and looking for an answer. And so now my anxiety is tied into my need to search the Internet and the whole process that I have around my cell phone 
and all of this information that's coming at me. So all of that becomes very complicated. Uh, so just taking out the anxiety isn't necessarily enough because you have to change the entire ecosystem. If you don't change the rest of that system, it's going to be very hard to just strip out the anxiety and leave everything else in place. So that's one example to consider. Another one which you mentioned, which I thought was very interesting, this tendency that we're seeing today uh, where people are attacking Asians. And maybe it's because of the coronavirus. Maybe that's just an excuse and the sentiment has been there. But for a while, Asians were the model minority and they were fine and they played their part in the game. And that part is, okay, you come here and you receive a certain education, you speak and act a certain way, you provide an example of how minorities should behave, we'll give you opportunity, we'll give you good jobs, we'll give you some stability, uh, and it gives us a way to say, oh, look at black people and how terrible they are. Why can't you all be like Asians? So Asians, uh, both uh, uh, East Asians, South Asians, we have an incentive to play by the rules. And even if we don't agree with the rules, let's say that we've been following the rules all of our lives and we just wake up to this fact. So we've never even questioned what's going on. Suddenly we see all of these attacks and we say, wow, the world is really spinning out of control. I don't know if I want to carry around that mindset anymore, this model minority mindset. It just doesn't suit me. I can see that it's destructive. It creates this artificial pyramid. It's not good for society. It's not good for me. But what am I going to do about it? Because now my social circle is a certain set of people. I've got a charity events that I go to, parties that I go to, a certain status that uh, that feeds into my self-esteem. I don't want to upset that. I've got a job, and that job requires that I act a certain way and project a certain image. So I don't want to lose my income. Even if I don't care about income, my spouse cares about income, my kids have certain expenses, I've got to keep that whole system going. So take those two examples. You take either one. And what are your thoughts? I mean, it's such a complicated interdependent system. Even if we can identify the behavior, number one, number two, we can identify the reasons for it. How do we start to change it when so much depends on the continuation of this behavior? Vin, this is, uh, again, it, it, it's a small path. It's the middle path. As they say, it's the road least taken. We speak specifically to a community of people that we refer to as the opt-outs, right? People who, are, who really understand that the number one disease of humanity is ignorance and the greatest cure is intelligence. So whatever they do, they seek intelligence. They can sort themselves out from the madness that's going on. Even the term model minority, can you imagine what a demeaning term that is? That if you dance the right step, if you laugh at the right jokes, if you show nothing but compliance, you get the award. That's not advancing you at all. That's sacrifice your humanity, allow yourself to be fetishized. But it doesn't stop there. It's in many ways. I was talking to one of my wonderful students the other day, Rose. I was so glad to talk to her. And I thought about you know, this brilliant young lady. And I remember first meeting her in one of my yoga courses and she looks just like one of my aunts back in the Congo. Looks just like one of my aunts. And I'm talking to her and I could feel the weirdness. And what I described was like one of those horror movies. 
uh, where it's everything's okay, but something's not quite right. Half the people in the room are robots. You know, one of them horror movies. And I say, yeah, so what's up? You know, and I say, Mbote, you know, I say something Congolese. She says, obviously Congolese. She says, no, I'm Hispanic. I say, yeah, that's fine. You speak Spanish, but what part of Africa are you from? Oh, no, I'm from Spain, Madrid, and England. I'm from probably good old Icelandic stock or something like that, she says. She's going to call me and correct me on this, I'm sure. But I spoke to her, then, then one day she says, you know, I got my DNA to taken, and I'm, I think I'm Cameroonian. I said, you know where Cameroon is, right? It's like right next to the Congo. It's like Santa Monica and Brentwood, right? Right? It's kind of the same. Like we can walk there, you know what I mean? And we do, right? And it was something for me because I've had this happen a lot that I look at people and I see them as relatives. I see them. I see them. Not the uniform they're wearing, but I see under the uniform. And I call them on that in whatever way I do it, either outright or, or in a subtle way. And some people just get pissed off and run. Um, we had another woman from Colombia. Um, Blanca. Blanca, yeah. Again, black as night, obvious. Little girl looked like she was one of my children's sister. And she told me one day she was in her, she said, my little girl hates her hair. She hates the way she looks. She said they were teasing her because she was so dark and I was explaining to her, well, some of us are darker than others. I said, no, you, you're black. You're not a model minority, you're black, and whatever goes along with that good, bad, claim it, own it, kick ass, and take names, right? Accept yourself. But the building blocks were so deeply imprinted with this caste system, with this underlying narrative of going along with a failed system built on a falsehood of race identity when there is no such thing as a race. That self-rejection started showing up in her child at an early age till if you remember, Caitlin, little girl didn't talk a lot. She wouldn't speak a lot. And she was probably, what, five or six, seven years old and was already suffering from hatred of herself. Her mother caught on to it slowly, and it was hard, because she has never heard anything else. She just knew something wasn't right. And she slowly started making change in the little girl's life. So I've done this to a number of people. Um, why do I do that? Because I like to be the earthquake that shakes up the building. And if the building isn't retrofitted and ready for the 8.8 .8 earthquake, it's gonna fall down. But the building, there's a reason we want it reinforced. We want a stable and foundation, stable, healthy and strong foundation to nurture ourselves in, no matter what is thrown at us. And if your foundation, as you would say, built on sand, or if in the building blocks of the material it is fractured and flawed and it cannot withstand the pressure of daily life, you're going to have more problems than not. 
So often when I talk to people and I'm working, I'm, my biggest concern is to mitigate human suffering, promote well-being, follow what the Buddha said. Most human suffering is self-inflicted. How can we enlighten ourselves? Well, that part of deconstructing, tearing down those false narratives that we casually use. Think, I mean, think of that, Vin. Model minority. That's like, what's a model woman, Caitlin? What would be the model woman and for who? Submissive, good cook, always ready for whatever sexual perversions I need that moment. Um, that, never ask for anything. That's not what we think of as a model woman. Who is we? That's, that's you. Speak for yourself. Yeah, that's why the robot dolls are selling out. For many people, that's the model woman. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. The robot dolls have sold out. They're back ordered, okay? They're sold at a premium price because there's a huge market for people that want robot girls. So whatever they were taught, that is the model woman. So, Vin, when you think about a model woman, a model minority, it was something they used to warn us about when I was younger. They said, when the people come to you and say, how come the other blacks aren't like you? That's when you know you've done things wrong in your life. When you're the model Negro. If you're the model anything, it's problematic. It's very problematic. But some way we bought into it. And it was in a, in a moment of ignorance or weakness or comfort. And as we enlighten ourselves to make ourselves whole and well, we take ownership. And yoga wants to be self-possessed. This is my stuff. And now I can work with my stuff. I can't work with your stuff, but I can work with my stuff. And if I can work well with my stuff, it's less burdening to anybody else around me. So we get there, Vin, and we stay there because of the sentiment. We get there because of the original errors. But as we move, evolve, as we opt out, we can take that apart and just say, hey, this is who I am. I think about when I traveled the world through Central America and Brazil, and, and I would travel to different parts of the world, the Middle East, Africa, and how different people dealt with quirks and other people's physiology was very different than how they dealt with it in America, in my observation. I'll give an example. When I played capoeira in Brazil, you would find people in Brazil because it's a very impoverished nation with all sorts of health issues. Bones that were broken as a child that were never set right. Somebody has a limp, someone lost an eye or, or something, and they move about their life. But it was so common they would call people by, you know, Johnny One Eye. Oh, there's Johnny One Eye, but it was never done in a way that was degrading. Hey, you Johnny One Eye? Yeah, obviously you see I'm Johnny One Eye. What's going on, man? Wow, okay. And what about uh, Gordo with a limp? What about the fat one with a limp, right? Um, Chibito, right? Chibito, right? Just fat kid. They have all these things that identify people almost like landmarks, right? Think about landmarks. 
the uh, Grand Canyon, right? Here's uh, blah, 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 right? Here's the City Hall. City Hall isn't mad because you call it City Hall. Johnny One-Eye isn't mad because you call him Johnny One-Eye. Because he got one eye. He actually is comfortable with that. He distinguished him from others. But why then would we be here and we'd be ashamed of being that? Why would we come up with social rules of how to speak and how to identify people that's so confusing people don't talk anymore? Like you just can't call us, call whatever it is what it is anymore. We can't even talk. So people come around and so you see Johnny one eye, you can't say, oh, Johnny, uh, well, there's 10 Johnnies in the class. Which one of us do you want to talk to? Well, um, let's figure this out. Well, obviously, I got a patch over my eye. You can call me Johnny with a patch over Well, I don't want to offend. Well, I'm not offended by it. You got one eye. You see, we create these kind of tensions in our world out of what? Shame, sentiment, acceptance, the desire for everyone to like you. You can't have reasonable discourse. The discourse, like common sense, no longer exists. If you say you're not into something, you must be anti it and want to hate it. Because I'm a vegetarian, I don't hate meat eaters. And I hope meat eaters don't hate me for being a vegetarian. But we're getting into that kind of place because the what we're built upon is so flawed. And as we continue to layer ourselves, we're laminating over the problems that are in the interior. When people can no longer have discourse for threat of offense, for threat of discomfort, when an action through over through digital space can alter your career trajectory People can attack you. And again, when I say people, we're in a world where these people don't really exist. But it's the idea of the idea of what they're thinking you might be thinking that's causing a visceral, a quantifiable, and temporal negative reaction. I didn't like the way you texted me. People say that now. I didn't like the text you sent. What, 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 what the hell does that mean? I, you didn't see my face. I have people here. I'll tell you. I had an old friend who used to live with me in D.C. Really great writer. I encouraged her to go back to school. Uh, this is back whenever, when you know, when dinosaurs ruled the world, whatever. Way back when, and she went on to school. Her name was Heather. She went to school, got her PhD, did all this kind of stuff, became a, 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 a writer, wrote a few nice books. And I said, you should call me sometime. You should call me sometime. I'd love to get caught up. Oh, I'm so busy, but we, we're going to sit down and talk. So the time went on and Facebook came out. And one day she was Facebooking me and I Facebooked her back and I hit the wrong button on Facebook. And it shared with her some bizarre video from Indonesia. I don't need to get into the details, but it was a weird, funny video from Indonesia. I think a crab had bit a guy's testicles or something. And I didn't know Facebook, so you hit a button and you end up sharing it with people. And she said, oh my God, 
I didn't know you were homophobic and it's an anti-homosexual video or something like that. I'm really hurt that, that you've become this person that I didn't talk to you. I just pushed down again. Give me a call. That's been 10 years. And this was all over digital media. What is it in us that allows this to undermine the foundation of who we are? And the only way that can happen is the foundation of who we are is weak anyway. It can't take the seismic shifts of daily life. It is not worthy, as they put on a building that's damaged, it is not worthy to occupy. This building is unsafe to occupy. Our lives have been un become unsafe to occupy. So that's why I, when people ask me, Vin, I said, well, what should you do? I said, for the opt-outs, you create your own communities, your own islands, your own arc of people that value intelligence. It values the nurturing of intellect that can explore the outer boundaries of what we know. But you're gonna, it's gonna be small communities. Because if you can lose your job or lose a friend because of a text message, there is something wrong. There is something very wrong. If you can accidentally, what is that thing when the phones correct your spelling? Autocorrect. Yeah, and sometimes it says weird shit, right? Mm -hmm. And you, you have to immediately say, oops. You, you can lose a friend. I found out on my, my old devil that uh, you can actually retrieve your text oh, yeah. and pull it back, right? Because it's so powerful that a missed stroke, a missed finger on a device about two inches big with a surface of one-tenth of an inch, if you miss that, you could lose a relationship, lose a job, and be haunted by that thing for the rest of your life. I don't want to be on that train. I don't want anything to do with that. People are in court battles now over text, Twitters. Not human interactions, not fists thrown, not the violation of personal space. And it's so difficult to have real discussions. I was listening, Vin, earlier today on the way in. They were talking about, I guess, is it the mayor or governor of New York or whatever is in trouble for a bunch of women coming out of the woodwork saying he did weird stuff. Is it the governor or the mayor? What is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's the uh, governor, Cuomo. Got pulled off the air for mentioning. A woman was, was shut off the air for mentioning. You see, she said, this has happened so much. Should we not examine the culture that creates a situation where young women are going to the homes and private hotel rooms of older powerful men. At this point in history, that all that we have a record of, can we look at the culture and make changes in the culture as it goes, as opposed to looking for villains and victims? That's all she said. Can we not look at villains and victims, but look at a culture that creates a disparity of power where a young woman would do something she normally doesn't do, which is go to a strange man's hotel room or whatever private place at 2, 3 in the morning and is shocked that the guy is butt naked or asking for weird stuff, 
runs out, waits a year, and then says, that was a really horrible experience. I want him to, I want him hung. All she asked was, can we change the coach? Because that's what I would ask. Like, I don't necessarily want to go hang out at a Proud Boys rally. You know, probably wouldn't work out in my favor. Probably be a lot of messed up Proud Boys. Whatever it is. Or whoever doesn't like me, I'm not going to go around that. I'm not going to go and spend the night at Sing Sing Prison. Right? And expect it to turn out all right. So the co- my internal culture tells me there's certain behavior. Hell, I'm a healthy, fit, hard-fighting guy. I like to be in after sundown. My culture teaches me that it's probably better for me not to be roaming the streets later at night where uh, weird stuff happens. <laughs> well, you look at what's happening. What about J.K. Rowling, who wrote all the Harry Potter books? Have you followed that? No, well, give me up to speed. She's been pilloried. This is a woman who dragged herself up from poverty, wrote 14 manuscripts before she got one accepted, ended up creating this billion-dollar empire, this ultimate rags-to-riches success story, intentionally created a gay character in the books. So the principal is supposed to be gay, even though there's nothing that explicitly discusses that. And she says that that's what she already envisioned, or always envisioned. Seems like a pretty tolerant person. So the whole transgender community has come out in arms against her because she said something like, only women can have babies. <laughs> and everyone everyone was offended. They couldn't believe it. Like, oh my God, J.K. Rowling, how could you say, you of all people, how could you say something like this? It's unconscionable. It's it's insanity. Vin, are you telling me that Dumbledore is gay? Yeah, I didn't know that. I just thought he was ugly and couldn't get a date. You know, a lot of I thought he was an incel. <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought he was banging a dragon on the side or something, but I guess we were both wrong. Yeah. Okay. So this is an example of the social construct is built on so many flawed errors that are in, it's not this is not sustainable and this is an example of how a small thing leads to the bigger things when we again even the way we speak so this woman had a rags to riches story she says something and a bunch of faceless people attack her and it affects her career but none of these people are held up to scrutiny. Do we know it's even people doing it? Is it bots? Is it one individual with four computers in front of them and 50 accounts? I don't know, but we shouldn't have to go through that. Should there not be, again, I think she writes kind of like comic book type stuff, the Dumbledore story or something. It's like, that's all I know. It's weird, I'm not that interested, but I know there's a there's a little lizard or something guy. but. Why bother her? Leave her alone. I think that's heroic what she did in in everybody. I also think when different people jump up and protest the things of life, even the anti-masker, mask, no mask, whatever you believe, you know, I wear the mask because I just need to go get my latte and and gluten-free brownie. And they say, wear a mask, wear a mask, go get it. 
because it, 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 it's, it's not the fight I need to fight right now. I'm not going to protest the store and cold roll my 4x4 up through the window and demand that I can go places without masks. What, what, what happened in your life that you feel that that's an infringement upon your rights? So just keep it to yourself. I do whatever I need to do, and I don't have to raise a flag or banner because I own myself. Because I don't need other people to validate me, nor am, am I seeking tribal allegiances, alliances, or corroborations of my life by various unknown faces. You think that in this world we live in, a bunch of people who don't know you have nothing, can judge you and you react to that. See, to me, that's the problem. There's always been anonymous weird people doing weird stuff, right? It's how you respond to that. And so when we talk about what are we built out of, how does, why does that mess up your life? Now, I understand when people get in work situations, but we need to walk through this minefield now because this is a new trend. This is a new way of bullying and controlling other people is the threat of being yelped out of existence. So maybe those opt-outs, we need to stand back. I don't trust Yelp anymore. I'll look at it and say, let me, let me check it out. Or if I want to buy something from a company that has a two or three bad reviews, I'll call them. And you'd be surprised at the stories they tell when you actually call. Because I have a hobby of building cars, right? So every now and then you have to get a weird old part, right, from somebody. Another type of master cylinder or a flange or something. Some obscure piece you call. Oh, I had a horrible experience with this company. Don't ever go to there. And I'll call and i say, hey, you know, I'm looking for this part. And I just wanted to talk to you guys. You had a better you. I'm so glad you called. Let me tell you what happened. The person bought the part, put the old part in the back, shipped it out and wanted money. And we said, this isn't our part. You, you know, you're, you're trying to steal a $10 part from us. And then they said, we're going to give you bad reviews if you don't accept. Well, look, they said, look, we're not Amazon. We're working out of a 2,000 square foot warehouse. It's a mom and pop business. We can't just give away stuff. We can't just let it go like Amazon does. And it's actually sad. And they say, yeah, this Yelp thing is killing us. We're going to get off of Yelp. I said, wow, wow, wow. And then you find small businesses doing everything they can, even hurting their bottom line in order to appease the Yelp gods. You see, so the very way that we've constructed that part of our existence has a built-in error, much greater than the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Because now, no matter how hard you work, no matter what good effort you put forth, it can be undermined with the effort it takes to open an app on your keyboard and spend 30 seconds keystroking can destroy a lifetime of effort. So this isn't something I want to be a part of, so I opt out of it. If you got a problem, let's talk it out. If you have an issue, let's, let's work it out. And if we're not close enough or care enough about each other to do that, let's not interfere with each other's life. How about that? So how we get here, how we got here, was through convenience, was through the pursuit of comfort, was through the, the over-emphasizing the ego, 
and the massaging and stroking and nurturing the ego until it was so muscle bound that we can't break its grip. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, that last point you made really pulls it all together. If we think about the implication of all this, because we've been talking about who we are, what the challenges are that we face, how we got there, and then what do we do about it? If we know how we got there, a lot of times it's bad philosophy, bad narrative, which leads to bad practice. So that's where we should start. The idea is around everyone needs to like us. Everyone needs to validate us. I'm some sort of a victim. I'm a victim of my circumstances. I'm the most important person in the world because my parents gave me more attention than they should have. I can't deal with hardship because I'm trained to go and look for comfort. A lot of these narratives, which maybe we've never surfaced, they're implicit in our behavior. If we can really start examining how we got to the point where we are, in my mind, the value is exactly what we said. We, we take these instructions, uh, these routines that are running in the back of our mind. I mean, uh, almost the, uh, the stories that we tell ourselves about how the world works and who we are, and we bring them to the light. And then we say, is this something that makes sense? And if it doesn't, we can move on. And maybe that's not something that happens immediately. We need to keep on reinforcing a new worldview, a substitute narrative that's not as corrosive or diseased as the original one. At the same time, there's ancillary work to do because we've set up an entire system. So we have habits where we follow a certain behavior. We have people that we talk to who support what we're doing. We've got social activities. We derive esteem from certain behaviors. So that entire system we need to dismantle. Uh, but it starts, or at least a part of it starts with the philosophy that got us there. I think if we can attack those two things, the philosophy and the infrastructure, and work through those at the same time, then we've got a really good shot of making change. And we're not going to fall into this trap where, as we said up front, we're really motivated, we're really excited, we pinpointed the problem. We're like, man, I'm just going to power through it. I'm going to change. I'm going to come out better on the other side. If we don't change the narratives and we don't change the supporting system, nothing's going to happen. But the good news is that if we can identify those put in the work, we can come out stronger, and we can make change that persists. So we turn into different people. We strengthen that foundation that we're talking about uh, in a way that, that maybe we've never had before. And Vin, I like what you just said, the word dismantle. Um, and, and let's, I want to describe my idea. When, when you said that, the idea I have in my mind is oftentimes our mantras are wrong. Our mantras are, are, are mal-narratives. They are, um, they offer nothing. We have many mal-narratives that we carry and we spout off without thinking. We have social mal-narratives. How about with all the pronoun, the gender things and all that? What if we change the narrative and just said, religion and your sexual proclivities are private? What if we did that? What if we said, how many problems would be solved if people kept their religion and their sex lives confined to people that it's relevant to? Then nobody has to validate your Jesus or mine. I can worship the spaghetti monster in the comfort of my own home, and you could, you could 
worship the virgin dragon, whatever your religion asks you to do, and we're all good. There's no test. There's nothing. How about your sexuality? If you're into kangaroo sex, and you and you need to dress up like Ronald McDonald to perform the act, ain't my business. And we all get along. I don't have to identify you as kango cis sexual uh, or clown sexual. I don't have to even define you. I just I can define you based on my relationship with you. Hey, Joe that works at the office, blah blah blah, or office person how about that and that's it now where there's no conflict there's nothing going on we dismantle issues of social issues there's no such thing as a race of people follow the science that stops speaking in terms of race so when people said they, they're not they're going to replace us maybe you need to be replaced every now and then you got to shake it up right anyway these people are concerned that other people will replace them well Maybe you should be replaced. I wouldn't mind being replaced here so I can go do something else. I'm always teaching people stuff and trying to show them how to run the thing so I can just kick back. I don't mind being replaced. Is being replaced that bad? It really, it, would that be that bad, Kaylee? If you got like, we start making more money, we can replace you with two or three other Beckys at the door that can do your job. You just yell at them from somewhere, right? From an island. Yeah. You wouldn't mind being replaced. But see, no. none of, they're right. See, we're all good. So we have to change the narrative. Uh, this idea of patriotism. And and I, I realize when I listen to politics and you see the concept of left and right, and I, I finally figured out what they meant. Democrat and Republican. It works like this. Democrats hate America. Republicans hate the people in America. See? See, Republicans love America, but they hate the people. Democrats love the people, but hate America. Hey, there you go. We figured out the politics. You see? So how about not be a part of any of that? How just be a citizen of the globe and like your neighbor? So for the opt-outs, we just want to reject all failed mantras. Raise your kids the way you want. Like I said, I talked to one of my students that day. She's raising her daughter in a wonderful way. Um, they go to uh, some kind of parochial school or something like that. And she, had, she learned how to navigate. She learned how to navigate it. Take what's good out of it and leave the West on. Because inevitably, your child's education is up to you. How about that, parents? As Mariana told us, you're responsible for your own kids. That's it. They're going to learn more from you than anyone else. So if you lead, drop them off at a cult for eight hours a day and you don't deprogram them, then you wake up in a few years and say, how is my child a cult member? Well, you didn't spend any time with your child. You spend more time doing something else. So opt-outs, we take responsibility. We also avoid toxic, false narratives about life. And if you can't be around people that are willing to change, then change the people around you. If the people around you don't change, then change the people you're around. Real simple. And you don't need a lot of people around you. Who do you need? The people you love, the people that support you. And that's it. Don't be greedy. Don't uh, be a person that, that lacks gratitude, where you always need more, more, more validation. Because then you're their slave, right? So Dallas says, look for other people's approval, you're their slave. Don't be a slave to anybody, right? 
free the slaves, okay? Let Don't be a part of that. And really, it won't hurt you. It really won't hurt you. If you're not a part of the madness, it really won't hurt you. You might think it will, but it really won't. Because you'll create a reality, a community, a, a, a lifestyle, and a culture that nurtures you. You can visit these other places in the frontier, like in some horror movie where you go to some strange planet to do trade, but you have to always go back home. Home is where the heart is. Your home is sacred. And you guys can sit there and talk about the adventures you had at the circus. The circus of, I went to this weird circus, the bazaar. You know what they're doing over there? Madness. Thank God I'm home. You ever say that? I'm so glad to be home. That's how. We, that's when we know we're on the right track. When we get home, we say, I'm so glad to be home. There you go. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, I get it. If we step back and think about the last podcast and this podcast, we have to know who we are. We have to be able to discern whether that's something that's in our best interest, whether we have that strong foundation or not. We have to examine how we got there. So if there are things that we want to change, understand what are the narratives and the conditions that got us to that place. And for any substantive change that we want to make, change those narratives. Dismantle the false ideas. Reject the madness that even if it's commonplace, it doesn't make sense. That's where the independent thinking comes in. And then all the habits and behaviors and people we hang out with who support the dysfunction, get rid of them. And it, it might sound harsh, uh, might sound cruel in this world where people want to fit in and they want to be liked. Uh, but <laughs> I don't know, see, we got to look out for ourselves. We got to make sure we're strong. I mean, if we're weak, if we succumb to insanity, what use are we going to be to the world or to people around us? So even if it does feel a little bit ruthless, do that pruning, make the changes, create that strong foundation, and we're all going to be a lot better off. And also remember, Vin, when you mention something about people won't like you, the reality of it is if you don't like yourself, nobody will like you to the point where you start liking yourself. Because if you're dependent on other people liking you, for you to like yourself, People don't like people that don't like themselves. It's very confusing, but it's very clear. You see that? How about you just like yourself and be around people that like you as you are? Problem solved. Know yourself. Construct yourself. Opt out. Take ownership. Yeah, that's how we do it, baby, on the DPO. <laughs> Check that off and move forward. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.